0: Guys, we are excited to be together, uh, continuing our study there. Hopefully you got a Bible and you're heading over there now. If not, Bible's in front of you. Grab one, page number on the screen, so you can be there. Electronic device works as well, but be in the Word. Uh, Be in that space, that it is through the Word of God that we journey this evening, and that your mind journeys and your heart journeys... And, and that God would work in that as we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 6, continuing just our, our chapter by chapter, verse by verse study in this book, We're going to do our best to cover all or most of this chapter this evening and longing that God would work in that in a way that would help you uh, just find the things that He's wanting to speak into you and just going to believe Him in that faithfulness. But I want to take a moment and pray for it, and I hope you would as well. Let's ask God to speak to us. Let's ask Him to make this alive and real and that our hearts would be met uh, into those things that He has in store for us. Father, right now we come, and because I've kind of been wrapping my mind and my prayers around Psalm 23 uh, in our song we were singing right before this, I just come back to it and say it again. Lord, would you bring us into green pastures this evening? Would you bring us into a space that as your sheep we would be and able to find that which would nourish our soul. Well, that's your word. Your word is life to us. It is bread. It is the very, the very the, the work that you work into us. Your word is powerful. God, you're that shepherd. Would you bring us together into the truth that you have in this chapter, but then individually into that which you would speak to us? You're so capable of doing that in ways that just... Boggle my imagination, but I love you as that faithful God. I'm so glad you could do that, and I'm just longing for it now. That God, you would help us to hear you, and that your work would be done for your honor, for your glory, and good into our lives. We ask for that now as we head to this, and this time in your word, speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The church has begun. Hey, we're in Acts chapter 6, and if you have been with us, you know it has been a wild and glorious ride. God has poured out His Spirit. Pentecost happened. The gospel is preached. 3,000 people are saved. Really, this beginning wave of what God is doing, and there's been some amazing things. Uh, there's been, you know, powerful proclamations of the gospel. There's been miraculous uh, just works that God has done. He's opened up opportunities and amazing things have, have carried them in these early days. But there's been difficulties as well. There's been opposition from without. The, the, the Jewish leaders had, have begun to oppress They've arrested them twice. Hey, it's coming. We're just right on the gospel, just a little over a chapter ahead, and, and the persecution is going to break out in large measure. There's much oppression coming against the church from without, but there's been problems with it from within as well. We met Ananias and Sapphira. We found uh, just the complications and the confusions over hypocrisy and even how they, they walked through that. And so all these things have drawn us to this moment, and yet now we find ourselves facing another issue. We've seen oppression from without. We've seen confusion, even satanically infused confusion from within And now we find a problem, but it's not labeled for us. It's not given to us as a certain source, as if Satan is stirring this up, though that's possible. But it certainly is a place of confusion. And and whether you could realize it or not, so much hangs in the balance right now. I mean, so much could go very, very well or very, very poorly and, and really kind of create a stifling uh, to the things that God is doing. And so it's in that we want to see it. Well, if you're there again, Acts chapter 6, let's just begin it by reading the first couple of verses. It says, Now in those days, when the number, number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were being neg- were neglected in the daily distribution then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said it is not desirable that we should leave the word of god and serve tables what's the problem where is this coming well it's Probably not the best way to word it. Honestly, I struggled this week trying to think of, hey, I wanted to land on a, a good way to describe the issue, but I'm just going to describe it this way, that there really is a great need, a space right now that there, there's a kind of a need for delegation. There's a need for some transitions in the way things are happening, and we want to try to unpack that a little bit this evening that would both give us insight there, but insight now. Maybe one of the first things I want to point out to you, and it's an important point because if we can't agree here, then much of the rest of it's going to get maybe confused and lost. And that is that I would point out to you that as there begins to be these complaints that we just read about in confusion, the disciples come up with this and they tell us there in verse 2, it is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. I would... Hold out to you that the decision they're making, the passion they have here, it's not an arrogant thing. It's not as if the disciples are going to come into this moment and say, hey, this is beneath us. Like, this is, you know, we're too important for this. Um, we, you know, we're, this is something we don't do. Like, we don't serve tables. We don't do that. No, they've absolutely already been doing that but I would hold out to you, that's certainly not what this is, or I would hold it out that way because that would go against everything we know in scripture, right? I mean, Jesus, when he talked about himself, said, hey, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That he calls us to this place of humbling ourselves and serving, of of exalted, of treating people better than ourselves. And so if the disciples were here coming and saying, you know, that's work beneath our status. That's beneath who we are. It would be something that would go so foreign uh, to everything we find in Scripture and certainly wouldn't find God's blessing. And so I would simply hold out to you that that's not what's taking place. So what is taking place? Well, once more, it is a time where there really is a need for delegation, where the church is exploding, things are happening, and and there's a a need now for kind of a spiritual delegation. I recognize that, you know, we think about uh, delegating, and for some of you, that's a very common uh, description. Maybe you find it in your workplace. Maybe you find it in different spaces. Hey, there might be some insights even this evening into that, but let's kind of just say that's not what this is. This is a unique moment in, in just kind of the progression of what God is doing, and the need is, is is will that happen? You know, will there be a space where that that kind of delegating happens? In fact, maybe it would be helpful to hold over against this another example, at least that's kind of where I connected. I often find myself reading in Acts 6 and, and thinking, you know, when God did this in the, in the nation of Israel, uh, when he brought them out of Egypt, and by the multitude that was there, we had a very similar issue come up, and maybe seeing them together would be helpful. So I'll just put a, cou- a couple verses up on the screen. In Exodus 18, it lets us know that Jethro... Uh, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt." So they've made their way out of Egypt, the the whole nation of Israel. Jethro, his father-in-law, who Moses had lived with for a long time, he hears about it, and he journeys, bringing actually Moses, his wife, with him, which is another story, and boy, they come, they get to meet, they get to see everything that's happening, and Jethro is impressed. I mean, he, he can recognize, hey, God is in the move. I mean, God is moving in this, there's a good space in this, but he's there. So after he gets there the next day, it lets us know uh, that Moses sat down to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So Jethro's there. He's just kind of watching this whole thing happen. And so then he takes Moses aside. He says, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? I mean, you've just got to just almost imagine this for a moment. It's like, Moses, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? And everybody is just kind of waiting on you. And so Moses answers him. He said to his father, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one and another. I make known the, the, the statutes of God and, and his laws. He says, well, you know, it's, they're all asking you. I mean, I have, I'm the, you know, I'm kind of in this space. I'm needing to do this. And so Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and this people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. And it's just a good word. says like, this is, Moses is going to kill you and it's going to kill them. Like You are going to wear out. You're going to wear them out. Like This isn't going to work for you. Uh, You're not able to perform it. He says, listen now to my voice, and I'll give you counsel. And God be with you. Stand before God, uh, before the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people, able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And then let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace." Says, hey, I'm just going to give you some advice. If This is going to be longevity for you. This is going to be that which is going to help this go forward. It's going to be good for the people. Moses listens. He heeds the voice of his father in law and does everything he says. He says, that's a good piece of wisdom. And at this moment, things shift for them. I mean, there's, there's help into the midst of the people. There's a, there's a moment where kind of just this empowering and, and delegation happens, which is a beautiful thing and very, very helpful. Well, I hold to you that that's where the church is right now, it's exploding. It's exploding. Uh, We know that no less than 5,000 men, and and then it says day by day more. Uh, Some scholars estimate that the church, you know, counting women, children, and just the day by day growth could be up to 20,000 people, you know, at this moment. I mean, just massively moving, amazing things happening. But in the midst of it, there begins to be problems. And it's worth just noting it's a problem because of growth, it's a problem because it's happening so fast. That's how it says it in verse 1. It says, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying. And I just, just, just letting you kind of just think about that for a second. This is explosive growth. Um, multiplying. I mean, you guys did multiplication, right? I mean, you understand how that works? I mean, it's not just addition. It's not just a slow kind of, hey, you know, add two or three here and you grow. It's like, It's doubling. It's, it's, you know, it's massively growing where it's like, wow, we were like, this is where we were yesterday. Now we're here today. How are we going to, I mean, amazing, glorious, big things are happening and it creates problems. And as you're gazing into this chapter, I would just hold out to you. It's a real problem. What do I mean by that? Well, just notice how it says it in verse one. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint Against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. It's kind of just worth noting. It's not just a complaint. Hey, that's worth understanding because complaints are not a good thing, right? I mean, we would understand the Bible calls us to do everything without complaining. There is a space where God talks about grumbling and complaining, even to the children of Israel, and that would be something that God would never, you know, look upon with favor. But here it very clearly says, yeah, they were actually being neglected. I mean, it was a complaint, and it says, it doesn't say because they accused them of being neglected. No, the end of the verse just says, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution so we've talked about this a little bit in the book of acts so just don't want to spend a ton of time on to it but life is changing so the church has begun there in jerusalem And oppression is beginning to happen. And a few things are taking place. Uh, For starters, again, they don't have kind of a social security system. They don't have any of those things. And so in that moment up to this place, that's been carried on by by the temple. That's been carried on by the Jews there. But what happened is these people got saved, the the Jewish leadership, and those cut them off. And so now you have these brand new believers, and they're cut off from support. Uh, They're cut off from, uh, you know being able to, you know, have widows, you have people who can't, who can't earn a living, you know, what are they going to do? So the whole church has taken this on. I mean, they have amazingly done it. In fact, we just saw it back in chapter 5 that some of the people like Barnabas sold land and were, and were giving it to the apostles and say, hey, meet the need. Hey, like, meet the need. Let's take care of those who are there. And they're doing it. I mean, they're radically doing it. But again, now is that daily distribution. They're like every day kind of feeding these widows, taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. There's this place where some are being neglected. John Stott said it this way it's not suggested that the oversight was deliberate. It's not like they were trying to do this. It just comes across really as poor administration and supervision. Like it just, hey, they, they, things are falling through the cracks in many ways and p- things are happening. Uh, John MacArthur simply said it this way. He said in a congregation of that size, it was inevitable that someone's needs would be overlooked. I mean, it's just, it's not surprising, but it's actually happening. So I just want you to make sure you're kind of thinking this through. This is a real problem. It's a real problem. There are really people who are you know, finding themselves being treated unfairly in, in their mind. like They're being neglected in the midst of it. It doesn't seem to be something that, that's you know, trying to happen, but it is happening. But if you can see this, it's also so tenuous at this moment. How do we try to comprehend that? Well, you might have already noticed it because we've read it a couple of times. The complaint, interestingly, comes from one group against the other. And you might have noticed it there in verse 1. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, that there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Who are the Hebrews? Who are the Hellenists? Very quick, simple understanding. More detail if you want to go into it on your own. Let's just be clear. Both these groups are Christians at this point in time. Both these groups are Christians, and they're both Jews uh they're not the 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 gospel has not yet penetrated outside of the of the of the circle of Jews, and so both the Hebrews and the Hellenists are Jewish Christians Hellenists were Jews who had begun to adopt a Hellenization or a, a Greek mindset that had begun to be pressed across the whole known world. And so they'd begun to kind of move with the flow. They'd begin to jo- adopting more Grecian customs, speaking Greek, uh, different parts of this. The Hebrews, well, they are the strict you know, very religious, holding fast to, you know, the Jewish ways of doing things, not wanting to be, you know, mixed into the culture. And and now these two, there becomes a complaint. There becomes a complaint that those who were Hellenized feel like that the Hebrews, these more strict sect of, of kind of the Jewish lifestyle were being neglected. It might be clear, even in just saying that, but this tension existed long before the church. I mean, this, this tension was a part of that culture. It was a part of their lives. This was a tension that, you know, would be a cultural tension. This is a tension that, hey, without kind of wanting to, you know, speak it um, Flippantly, we might kind of say, hey, it's kind of a racial divide. It's kind of a, a cultural divide that has two spaces at odds with each other. But now it's beginning to bubble up in the church. Now, it's, now this is the space where they're beginning to feel like, hey, you're treating us wrongly. You're treating us badly in the midst of this. But that's not actually the problem. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that that was actually creating it. It's just allowing that to come and crop up. If this is dealt with badly, if this is dealt with badly, it's going to be a church split. I mean, if this is dealt with badly, we're going to end up with a Hellenized church and a Hebrew church in short order. And that's not going to go well. Um, that, that's going to put a quenching on things. That's going to, that's going to create problems in the midst of it. You know? And so these kind of tensions that are a part of that world are beginning to press into this moment. And again, it, it, it's, that's not the cause of it, but it begins to flow out that way. It happens that way so many times. I mean, I know that you guys know this. We, this is such a, one of those hot button talk books and, you know, we would look on this and very simply say, hey, there really is such a thing as racism. Hey, there really is, you know, oppression. There really is. And then, you know, we live in a world that has totally changed that and kind of, you know, through the whole critical race theory and stuff and now turning it around and kind of being racist in their own way and not creating hell, but only creating more tension. But I want you to feel is that that tension is seeping towards the church right now. And it's kind of one of those things like handle this badly and it's going to make a mess. It's going to make a mess. None of, none of that, the Hellenization, the Hebrew, that's not causing the tension. It's a feeling of being looked over, not being cared for and how that works. And so it's a very, very real problem and it's tenacious. It's, it's tenuous in that sense that, hey, if this goes badly, it's going to go badly for the church. I'll add just a couple other quick things before we kind of begin to look at the solution. I'll say it's not just a tenuous and a, and a, and a, and a growth problem. It's a gifting problem. So you go back to it and you look at this and they, they, they have this complaint against this. So then it tells us in verse 2, hey, the 12, they summon the multitude of the disciples and they said it's not desirable that we should leave the, the word of God and serve tables. Again, they've obviously been doing that already so it's not a, an arrogant thing they just begin to recognize you know what i know what god's called me to do I, I know what i'm supposed to be doing i'm supposed to be teaching the word i'm supposed to be in prayer and instead i'm over here doing a bunch of stuff that i'm not actually gifted for you know and so not only am i you know doing you know not doing what i'm supposed to be doing i'm doing what i'm not supposed to be doing badly uh, you know, I'm doing what I'm not gifted in, in some way that's, that's going across in a bad way. That's a good space for us to just process this just for a quick moment. The Bible's really clear. There's not anybody in this room that God doesn't have a plan for your life. There's not anybody in this room that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you actually have a, a, a real part to play in the body of Christ. He has given you a spiritual gift. He's given you something that uniquely, spiritually empowers you to to make a difference inside the body of Christ. And so one of the interesting things in that kind of dynamic is recognizing that God knows that very, very clearly. And I would just put to you, the enemy knows that very, very clearly. And one of the biggest problems that sometimes happens in this is that Christians spend their time doing what they're not gifted in. Um, they, end, they end up, you know, instead of doing what God made them for and what, they, what, what God has given them a spiritual gift for, they, you know, meet urgent needs or just do that. And to the extent that they do that, they, they're not doing what God made them to do. And one of the key factors in our lives is learning how to figure that out. Boy, this isn't a study on that this evening, but if that's not something you've kind of even pursued, I just want to tell you, you should pursue it. Kind of pursue it into that place that you would say, okay, I know what I am. And that's what I do. I mean, it's not like I can only do that. I mean, the Bible's kind of called us, you know, into being, hey, we we love people, we serve, we care, we do all of that. But some people kind of like to put percentages to it and say, if you can figure out what your gift is, like 80% of your effort should probably make sure that it's flowing out there. Like you should be saying, hey, this is what I do. And it's not right that I should neglect this to go do something that I'm not good at. Like I'm not gifted at. And so one of the keys of our lives is figuring that out. So again, I just want to lay that before you because it could be that you would say you might find yourself in the same place the apostles are. Like there might be some mess in your world and it's like, you know what? I know what the problem is. I'm neglecting what God made me to do and I'm doing the stuff he hasn't made me to do. Like that's, that's actually a problem. I mean, it's almost like the disciples look there and think, you know, they look at this mess and how easy it could have gone differently by the way. How easily they could have come out of this swinging. Like, you Hellenists and you Hebrews, stop fighting, you bunch of, you know, whiny babies, you know, kind of thing. However they could have done that. Instead, they just came out and said, you know what, we're the problem. We're the problem. We've been doing this, but we're neglecting what we are supposed to be doing, and we're doing what we're not supposed to be doing, and we're doing it badly. Um, So we're not going to do that any longer. We're going to figure out what we're supposed to do and do that. And again, I just think that's a powerful reality, and whatever that looks like in your life, I just wanted to speak it to you and say, hey, you should be able to be able to say the same thing. Hey, it's not desirable that I neglect what God has made me to do to do something else, because a couple of things will happen. One, I'll do it badly, because I'm not actually gifted for it. I mean, I'm filling a space, but that's about it. You know, like, that's all I got is I, I'm occupying it, but I'm not doing a good job. But you're also hindering somebody else who should be doing that. You know, one of the things we we'll, we we'll talk about, it, you know, as we kind of try to figure out church here and those things, sometimes we will just tell people it would be better to leave a spot empty, you know, and have a ministry unfulfilled than to fill it with somebody that isn't, you know, called and gifted to do that. Like, we just say, well, I guess we won't have it, you know, we just won't do it. You know, over our years as a, as a church here at Calvary Roswell, there have been spaces where it's like, we don't have a youth ministry because we don't have anybody that feels called to do youth ministry. So we would rather not do it than, you know, tap some poor couple that has not gifted and be like, you're our youth ministry. And they're like, I'm not even gifted at this. And now I'm stuck with the youth. And yet I'm just telling you, some of you are like, I've done that. Like I've, you know, I've been, I've been slammed into a ministry and done something that needed to, we thought needed to be done, but I wasn't gifted. I just occupied, but that's a bad space to go. So It's a place where they're kind of thinking, okay, that's not what we have, but there are other people that are wired for this. Gifted for this, we need to find them because right now we're being distracted. Right now we're being distracted from what we're supposed to do, and and that is always one of the big spaces. Hey, figure it out in your life, and you'll realize that's just one of the battles you will fight. I know what I am. I know what I'm gifted to do, and I do that. Like, I know what that is, and, you know, that's what I'm going to do because, that 's what God made me for, like I actually both have a, have spiritual power in it, I enjoy it there 's power in that, like we do that that 's where we 're going and so that 's kind of what the, the the disciples come to at this moment like hey we 're not we 're not gifted for this we 're making a mess of it. We need to do something else, so what is it they do? Well, we leave this need for delegation, this need for their, and we want to just kind of quickly talk about what they do and we 'll just kind of define it as spiritual delegation. Again, because I want to say it's different a little bit than what's in the world. Not entirely. We can learn uh, from some of what the world talks about in delegation. It does apply, but boy, this is specific. So what do they do? Well, let's just read it there in verses three to six. It says, therefore, brethren, these are the, the disciples speak, speaking, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, who they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So they they said, hey, we need to raise up some other people for this, like that we need to figure out who this is. And so they decide, hey, we need to raise up these seven men, uh, these seven men who are going to be servants. So I want to quickly talk about something that is, I think, helpful, and I hope it not to be confusing. Uh, We've talked about it before. For some of you, it'd be really, really good. uh, Just to be quickly reminded others, if I leave you confused, you can ask later. We'll give it a shot. Um, I just would like to point out that these are not officially what we would know as deacons. Again, you live in an American uh, kind of church system. And so some of you, you know, church and deacons go kind of hand in hand. And so, you know, you might even understand, hey, this is where deacons, these is where deacons began, but they're never actually called deacons here. In fact, I would quickly hold out to you that that's a title that's actually a, a created title. It doesn't actually exist uh, in the, the, the scriptures. It, it was one that was given by the English translators. And so just very quickly, I'll point it out to you. Uh, it's used three times in the New Testament uh, in the English translation. This is one of them uh, here in First Timothy. It says, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to, to much wine, not greedy for money. We'll talk a little bit more about a couple of those things in a moment. Uh, but it's worth just noting. It's like you, you read your English Bible, like, it's right there, Jim. Pat- it's like right there. It calls them deacons. Well, that's a little bit of the problem because our Bible wasn't written in, in English. It was written in Greek in the New Testament, Hebrew in the Old. And the Greek word uh, for deacons here is the word uh, where, we, dekan- dekanies, where we get the word servant from. It is used over 100 times in the New Testament and all but three spaces. Uh, it is translated servant. And I would just carefully but lovingly say, I think it's a bad translation uh, here in First Timothy. That's probably arrogant for me to say that, by the way, and i just I'm a little bit aware of that. Uh, but I just think in some ways it creates a title for something that the Bible was never specifically about titles. It was never specifically about uh, power, position that that kind of becomes. In fact, I would just say you, you should be consistent. If you're going to use the word deacon, then you got you should use the word deacon everywhere it's used. And so you'd get Jesus. Again, when Jesus says, hey, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so if you want to be consistent, you're going to say, well, the Son of Man didn't come to be deaconed, but he came to deacon His way. You know, deacon, deacon others in the midst of it. It doesn't work, right? I mean, you kinda, it's like it's not really what it is. It's not a, you, you just created a title when it's really about serving, It's really about serving. So I would hold to you that it's the same way here. What do I mean by that? Well, please don't misunderstand this. God does work through kind of multiple uh, layers of leadership. He always does that. That's a part of it. But true leadership is never really about titles. It's never really about position or power in the scripture. It's always about meeting needs. And ultimately what we have here is this. This is a very specific place of serving. This is a place where the disciples look and say, we need someone to be in charge of feeding people. (laughs) Like we have a need. Uh, There's there's daily distribution and we need people that we can say, this is now your job. (laughs) Like you're in charge of this. Like you're the one who's doing this. This is an example of meeting a specific need. Why is that so helpful? Well, for a number of reasons. If here in Acts chapter 6, it was only about raising up a deaconate and, and raising up um, leadership in a, in a church, again, for many of you, you would look at it and think, well, that's interesting. That's cool. I'm not, you know, not my problem. You know, not my rodeo. Hey, that's somebody else going to have to, to kind of fight that one. And, and you would just say, hey, it's not about me. Instead of saying, no, this is about what the church is supposed to do. Like we, 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 we see spaces like, hey, that's a need, and we need to find, you know, we, need to raise, we need God to raise up someone to, to meet that. And that's what we do hundreds, thousands, millions of times. That there's an example here of a place of recognizing spaces where there's need and, and saying, okay, we, we, need to, we need to figure this out. We need to figure it out and, and raise this up. We, we want to pray for God to do this and do this in a good way. And so it becomes something that's much more life-giving and much more real, and, and, and much more powerful. So lots and lots of cool stuff in that. And, and for some of you, are like, I don't know why you think that's cool. I don't think it's cool. Well, I do because I'm a pastor. And this is just fascinating to me uh, in, in watching sometimes how things go well and sometimes go badly, but it's worth quickly noting. So it's a delegation of servants. It's a delegation of doing that. But maybe one of the most important realities in there is to recognize this. So they see a need. They recognize, hey, this, this is not us. We need to raise somebody up for this. But maybe one of the key components of this is it's a very qualified thing. They, they give a very strong weight to who's going to do this. In fact, just notice it again. It says there in verse 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. You can break that up in different ways, but I'll just point out a couple quick things. First of all, they need to be present. It says, okay, there's a need. Find seven men among you who can do this. Find seven men among you who we can say, hey, this is yours. I want to be careful about this because I actually could be wrong about this. And uh, and so just kind of track with me in this, but... I believe in them. one sense, they're just believing, hey, you know, we have a problem. God's already met the problem. We just haven't figured it out yet. Like, we, like it's, it's probably already here. We haven't figured it out. So I'm just gonna tell you a, a very quick little bit about me and, and about how we do church here. But I'm gonna be just really honest. Like, God is used to busting bubbles. And so he might totally wreck me on this. And, and I might, you know, very soon, you know, say, well, actually, we're gonna do it differently. But I can just say we have a little bit of experience with this. So we've been to church now for 28 years. Um, And and in the time of our church, as we've done this, as we've found needs and spaces up to this point, again, I'm just trying to qualify this because, you know, how God works. He might just be Jim. I know you said that, but we're going to do it differently. But up to this point, we've never um, done the worldly way of doing this. We've never... You know ran an ad um, we 've never uh, you know kind of gone onto one of the you know job posting sites and tried to find somebody to fill a role here that we needed. Um again, that God, God could do that. We, we really wrestled with this. I mean, for some of you know, we were kind of heading to this a little over a year ago. And what's a year ago? Yeah, a little over a year ago. And Pastor Phil was leaving. And, and, and we really were like, hey, do we need to do this? Do, like, do we need to kind of like, you know, search a job posting site to find somebody who could take Pastor Phil's place? But one of the things I've always kind of believed is like, no, I think God's already done it. I, I think it should, you know, if we have a need, he's probably met it. And up to this point, again, we've always found hey, there's somebody already here. There's somebody already here. Like some, God's either done it recently or they're a part of it. And, and, and so it's become a key part of at least my psyche, if I can kind of say it that way. It's like, no, I, wanna, I believe that God's already done it. I just want to figure it out. I'm like, he's already figured this out. We got a problem, but he's already provided. We just haven't figured out how he provided. You know, we haven't figured out what that looks like. But that, I like that they did that. Now, again, you, you could honestly argue from uh, a timeline of history. It's like, well, Jim, there was nowhere else. I mean, there were no other churches anywhere else for them to borrow from. That's true. Okay. So, but one, do they say, like, we already got this. Like, they're here. We just don't know who they are. We don't, we don't know who these guys are, but there's got to be seven men here that we can say, hey, this is your job. This is going to be your ministry. And so he says, hey, I want you to find them. And again, he just gives it to us in verse 3. He says, find seven men of good, that, who are among you. Again, I just spent more time on it than maybe I should have. Uh, but then noticing it, they have a good reputation full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And I'll just very quickly try to point out, these are very spiritual qualifications, right? A good reputation that has character about it that they have a good reputation, they have godly character, they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, that they're they're people who are walking with with God, and they have the life of God present in them, moving through them, and they have wisdom. Maybe a practical thing, but really wisdom comes from the fear of God. I mean, wisdom comes from somebody who's learned to obey God. I mean, that's right, like the foundation of wisdom. Wisdom begins in that, and so what's Maybe the most important thing for us to process is this is really the main qualification. I mean, they had to be there. Like, we gotta, there's got to be somebody to do this, but they had, they had to be spiritual people. But let's think through what they're being asked to do again. Are they being asked to teach a Bible study? Are they being asked, um, hey, we, we need to find somebody? That's not what they're being asked to. You know what they're being asked to do? Feed people. They're saying, hey, we need to entrust somebody with a food line. We need to entrust somebody, you know, kind of with our, our food ministry, and they're gonna be a part of, you know, daily, you know, passing out um, food to the widows, taking around. But what he lays out is that, hey, if we're a church, like this is what we are, and it has to be spiritual. It has to be there. I would point out to you that I think that's the same thing that's found there in that passage in Timothy that we just looked at a moment ago. So if the word isn't deacon, if it's actually servants, it would be saying likewise servants must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding uh, uh, to the mystery of the faith with a pure conference, uh, confidence, uh, conscience. So if it's servants and not deacons, who's that? Well, that's anybody. That's... Our worship team, our children's ministry, that's our ushers and greeters. I mean, if they serve in the church, they are this. I mean, that's and so he gives us a qualification list for anybody that serves. Why is that important? Because it's just a clear reminder, it's like, hey, you know, this is a church. And so you can't we, we don't want somebody serving even in the most undemanding spiritually i mean again i just want to say like passing out food i mean you know some people say well you know hey you could you could hire somebody for that hey you can get an unbeliever or you know somebody that doesn't really know them I mean, they're just giving out food you know that, we, that that's fine but they're like no no we're we're a church and, and so this is what we do we we are we we are looking for this and we want to we want to have this but boy we are concerned about we want character We want people who are walking with God and people who are applying God's word into their life and that's what we're looking for. So, again, I just spend, I wish I could say this better than I'm saying it. We probably don't do this perfectly. But understand my heart. Understand our heart as as leadership here. This is how we do it. Um, We don't want anybody um, on our worship team, in our sound ministry, in our children's ministry, doing ushers and greeters who aren't this? I mean, that they were like, you're, you're, you have, you're, you have character, you're walking with God, you're walking in His ways. Like, you don't have that. We don't want you. I, that didn't sound right. But yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, honestly, we, we've had to say that to some people. It's like, hey, it's great. You can't serve any longer. Not right now. Hey, hopefully someday you can. Hopefully someday you'll have this. Hopefully, you know, we, we want you to be. But for us, there's, Always that space of that and how serious that would be. And again, maybe you have no idea. Maybe some of you are like, well, Jim, is, doesn't everybody do that? No. Um, I know churches who hire unbelievers uh, to play on their worship team uh, because they're, good, they're, they're, they're skilled. And, and so there's, there's people, and, and actually it's not an uncommon thing. Uh, that, that might scare you a little bit. But it's not uncommon to have people who, they don't even believe. They, they don't even believe. they're not walking, they just play really good music, and so they get hired, they get hired to do ministry, and, and, you know, and and I've talked to some of them, like, they're not, like, teaching a Bible study Jim. you know, it's not, you know, they're, they're just playing music, it's like, they're, they're leading worship, you know, it's like, I I don't know if that's, and, and, and if, and if you're representing, even if you, hey, they're just passing out food, you know, so what, you know, so what, that they're you know, living with somebody, so what, uh, that they're living in disobedience. We're kind of in that place, like, you live in disobedience. Hey, you're welcome to come to church. You cannot serve. Like, you just can't do it, you know. That's not going to happen, you know, as much as we can, as best we can do it. Because, hey, this is, the, we, this is spiritual work, and, and, it, and it has to be that way. So it's fascinating that they kind of set this high watermark. It's like, hey, we don't, we, we're looking for spiritual people. Reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom, to pass out food, and, and that's just a good reminder for us, and by God's grace, that's what we're wanting to do, and again, that's what we're wanting for you. I mean, honestly, again, if you didn't know, now you do, and we're just saying, hey, that's always meant to be where we do this, they do that, and then it's worth just noting they actually do it. So you get this whole place, you know, they, they, they kind of say, okay, we're going to appoint them over this, and, and we want them to be, and I'll just use the word appointable, like, hey, they're the, who we can appoint over this. And, and so they, they do that. They, they, they step into this moment, and, and they walk in it. Hey, quickly notice what they do. It says the plain, saying, please the whole multitude in verse 5. Uh, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Temanon. Uh, Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So I I don't really, I I I found myself using up a lot of time this evening, so I'm gonna have to kind of shorten some of what I might say in this last space, so I'm gonna say it as clearly as I can and quickly and walk you through a number of things. But it's just helpful to see all of them. Um, There's something happening here that you might not recognize uh, as an English speaker. Um, All seven of these guys have Greek names. Why is that significant? Well, probably, again, without pressing it, probably they're all Hellenists. Uh, probably uh, they're all the ones who, who were there, and there's a little bit of wisdom in, in the way that they're doing it. But it wasn't like that's the stipulation, Uh, that they found uh, in picking out the guys, but when they did find these guys, it's interesting that they said, okay, hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna pick from those who feel neglected, and we're gonna say, hey, you're gonna help us fix this situation, and that's just a pretty good piece of wisdom. I would also say it very practically. Um, If you are a part of this fellowship, you might know uh, that it's dangerous um, being the one that complains, uh, because if you talk to me, uh, I'll be like, that's a great idea. You should do that. Like, that's a great, I'm so glad you noticed that that's a problem. You're like our person. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's kind of what they do. It's like the Hellenists complain. Hellenists can fix it. You know, like, hey, we're going to, you guys complained about it. You're going to be the ones that step into this situation and rec- recognize the problem. And they do. And so the apostles actually do it. They, they lay hands on them. Uh, they appoint them. And, and without spending a bunch of time on it, it's actual delegation. Um, they actually give it over to them. And again, for some of you, you would understand this in the working world. Some people call things delegation when it isn't really delegation because actually they still micromanage everything. And it's like, well, I thought you were delegating it. (laughs) I thought you were giving it away. No, they actually give it away. Like, hey, it's yours. It's yours. This is yours. You know, we're gonna do this, and this is your thing. And they lay hands on them, a beautiful picture of both power and recognition uh, in the midst of it where it just says, In verse 6, they set them before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. All right. Well, a couple things happened that's worth our just quickly noting. So, boy, amazing things happened. They had the problem. They've solved the problem. They raised up seven guys. But the outcome of it is just worth your noting. Um, So just notice verse 7. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So they do this and God blesses. So God's word is now going forward in greater power. So again, I would just say that's a mark that God's in this. More people are getting saved. It just says like disciples are multiplying. Like people just keep getting saved more and more. And actually, interesting enough, even people in the priests uh, tells us that some of the, the, the priests were there. Many of the priests now are becoming obedient to the faith. And it's kind of just one of these spaces that you might spend more time on later. But because they handled this problem well, not only is the gospel going forward and more people are getting saved, but it would seem even some of these people who were maybe some of the most resistant and they were the, the leaders in the opposition, they're like, that's really cool, like watching them do this, there's like, they're attracted, they're attracted to what's happening, they're attracted to what that is, and, and they become obedient on top of that, something else happens. So we already met one of them, you already know him perhaps there in verse five, they choose Stephen and he very clearly is distinguished even out of the seven because it tells us of him in verse uh, five, that he's a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. But one of the interesting things that happens is that now he begins to see greater opportunities for ministry. Verse eight, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. We'll talk more about that next week, but I just want you to feel this. Spaces where delegation happens, opportunities to serve happens, it's an interesting thing. Stephen does that well, but because he's faithful in that, it would seem that God opened up more opportunities for him. So he not only does, you know, feeding the tables, he now becomes to find himself having, you know, great opportunities to serve God. David Guzik said it this way, men were chosen to serve tables to do common things, but they were found doing uncommon things, working signs, wonders and among the people, that because they, they, they were found faithful in this, and because they're walking obedient in that, it's not only like the church is growing, but they're getting more opportunities, which is just one of these fun things that God does, that when, when you really begin to kind of give those spaces and say, hey, we're going to raise up other people, we're going to let other people figure out who they are, and they're going to walk in that, not only does that go well, but for some of them, it opens up more doors. And I want to just come back to you for a moment and say, you know, I don't know where all this lands for you, but again, I want to tell you, you have a gift. You have a part to play figuring that out, what your part in, it's amazing. And one of the interesting things is when you're faithful in the little things that God allows you to do, sometimes he just opens up more. It's like all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you just did something. I could imagine, you know, Stephen talking to, you know, his mom or something. It's like, so... Oh, you're you're starting to serve with the church. Yeah, what do you do? Uh, I pass out food. You know, it's like I mean, I mean, it's like. So, are you a pastor now? Well, no, no, no. Actually, I just, you know, I kind of pass out food. You know, I kind of, you know, and and yet, I've been appointed to it, and he seems to do it well. And yet, because he does that well, amazing opportunities begin to happen, so that now he finds himself serving more. So that great faith and power and just an ability, a wisdom, it says in verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke because God is doing an amazing thing. So we think through all that that is. We think through all that we're seeing in the midst of it. And I just want you to feel you know, the weight of this because you might not feel it. You might read this chapter and think, well, that's interesting. This could have been a moment where the church declined. Uh, this could have been, uh, you know, it could have been what some of you have walked through. Some of you are like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> you know, we're, God was doing amazing things. There's all, There was a church split and there's people angry at each other. And, 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 and then what could have been favor and, and, and help, it now goes all the wrong directions. And I just think, hey, at the very beginning, it's just worth us to see. Worth us to see, you know, how that works in many ways, and yet a longing that God would do that in us, that he would cause us to be those who, hey, you know, deal with things as, as they're there. I mean, there was a problem. They, they saw it. They dealt with it. They dealt with it well. They raised up spiritual people to, to walk in this, and it just explodes. It causes the work of God to go forward in amazing ways, and I find that just to be beautiful. There's enough stories uh, in, in my world and maybe yours as well of people that do it wrong. Like, there's just something about looking here and going, you did that well. That went really, really well. Like that was, that was that, you, you handled this well and, and God's work is going forward in good ways and good power and I like it. So that's where we're going to end this evening. You can close your Bibles and I don't know where that lands for you. I don't know where it encourages you, but I, I do think it's meant to. That you're not supposed to be able to read this and feel like this has nothing to do with me. I just want to say again, there's not anybody here that God is not wanting to do this in your life. That you are one that he wants to draw a relationship to. If you are outside of that this evening, you don't know Jesus, then we're calling you to Jesus. We're calling you to the gospel. We're calling you to being saved. We're calling you uh, to become a part of God's family. And and that's amazing. Amazing. And if you are a part of his family, then we're telling you he has a plan for you. Like you get to be a part of that and, and figuring out what that looks like. And I can just tell you in the, the, the clearest way, believing that you have a place is the beginning. Then looking to figuring it out and doing that, but the spiritual qualification is as true for you as it was for them. That which hinders our lives, that which quenches that, there, there's nobody that God is looking to use outside of you being a spiritual person. Without sight of you, having, you know, being a person of character, being a person of the spirit, being a person who is you know, walking in his ways. And so, boy, if you're looking at that thinking, well, I sure would like to do that. Well, begin there. Begin by becoming that person who's a person of character and, and spirit and walking in his wisdom and look for opportunities. They would say, hey, that's, I, I'm wired for that. You know, I'd love to do that. And, and long to see God work that in your life and through all of us now. So let's lay this before him and ask for his work. Father, thank you. Thank you for a good story, a good piece of our history. There's lots of other ones that go the other way, divisions and confusion. We find those in Scripture, and I appreciate the honesty. But I also love it when it goes well, and I'm thankful for this story. I'm thankful for this account. I'm thankful for Stephen and Philip and those whose ministry was discovered and know that more is coming because of this. I'm excited over just recognizing that the gospel was moving forward in the city there, but even in the priests. And Lord, I just want to look on this and say, Lord, do it again. Continue your work in our city, in Roswell, in the churches of our city. Do that work in our land where so much of the cultural divide has pressed into the church and, and it's become the issue. Instead of the gospel, instead of serving, instead of loving, God, rescue and and bring help. Lord, across our world today, we are just longing for the church to move forward, for the gospel to go forward in power. Do it again. Lord, do it, do it again. Draw us to it and meet us in whatever that looks like in our lives. Lord, for anyone here who's not yours, draw them to you. For those who are yours and yet they're doing, they're not really serving. Lord, create in them a hunger and a desire to know and then draw them to that. Grow them to be those people of character that you can use. And then work through them. Lord, in such a way that that description that you give us in Ephesians 4, that every part begins to do its part so the whole body of Christ is edifying itself in love. More of that. Pray for that, Lord, even here in Jesus' name.